Investor intelligence provides general information only. You should consider seeking independent advice to see how this information relates to your unique circumstances. Please refer to the terms and conditions available at investorintelligence.com.au for more. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors. It's your weekly podcast for all things investment and hosted by me, Phoebe Sikowski-Wallace. So last time I had today's guest on the show, we didn't actually get around to all of the questions, so I've brought them back again. So my first guest is Mario Vinaccia. As I said last time, Mario is a specialist in all things investment accounting and self-managed super funds. Welcome back, Mario. Good afternoon. <laughs> I've also got Georgia King. Nice to have you back again, Georgia. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, and Luke Harris, who is the CEO, founder of TPM our investment expert and no stranger to the podcast. Welcome back, Luke. Good afternoon, Fabia. Um, so guys, as I said last time, there were a lot more questions submitted by the Property Mentors mentors uh, surrounding SMSFs. Um, the last episode was a bit more of an introduction to them, how they work, a bit of a 101. Um, but this time it's a little more specifically surrounding how an SMSF can assist someone investing in property. Um, and this episode will make a hell of a lot more sense if you listen to the first episode with Luke and Mario and Georgia. Um, so if you haven't already, please go back and listen to that. Are we happy to get straight into them? Go for it. Fab. So let's say we are going to start buying property with an SMSF. Mm-hmm. Can I just buy any property or are there things I should consider differently because I'm buying through an SMSF, say, such as can I live in it? Can I renovate it? Oh. Um, in relation to purchasing a property as such, um, it has to be bought from a, a third party. You can't buy it a residential property of a member mm-hmm. as such. Um, you can't buy a property for you to live in. Okay. All right, because it purely has to be for investment purposes. So sure. It has to be rented, right? Um, so it's a scenario whereby you um, have to buy a property that's going to create wealth for you, yeah. in, meaning that it's going to increase in value over a period of time uh, and also generate that income from um, from a third party renting that property as such. Um what I've seen in the past where this has happened is that, you know, people have rented it to spouses or, or to their children. You can't have that because then they're discounting the rent. Yeah. So, so the scenario is to is, is to work, to grow that fund. If you're renting it out to a family member, you're not going to do that because no. you offer that discount to them, right? Because they're related, right? Yeah. Your son or daughter or it might be. So it has to be independent. So, and that's one of the strict rules that under the CISAX, it has to be, you need to follow that and uh, you can't have um, personal use of those assets. Yeah. Okay. So, and we've discussed um, depreciation previously on the podcast, but does buying property in an SMSF have the same tax benefits uh, as purchasing it in your own name? It, it does. It's, it creates this negative gearing aspects of it all, right? And um, if you have a strategy whereby employer contributions are being made into it, Right at the moment, as if just putting the contributions, you pay fifteen percent tax. Having that negative gearing on that property it reduces that tax liability on that 
contributions by your employer as such. Now, if you've got more than one member, you might have two or three members, or it might be all their contributions are going into it. Yeah, and that's ne- and negative gearing again going against it. Now, negative gearing is a way whereby your um, your expenses are higher than your income, mm-hmm. right? And your major expenses are your interest on the borrowings, yeah, and your depreciation claim. Yeah, okay. Speaking of that, actually, so what are some of the benefits of investing in a property with your SMSF, and are there certain results you should look for, like negative gearing or high capital growth? Um, look, you, you need to, it's all comes at the very beginning when you're planning to looking at purchasing a property. It's a, all right. So you need to have a, in an area whereby you're comfortable there's going to be growth, right? Mm. You can't have it somewhere out in the sticks, uh, you know, whereby, you know, you buy for a hundred thousand today and tomorrow it's, and in 10 years time, it's still worth a hundred thousand dollars. You need to do your homework. Yeah, right? okay. Um, so it's, like I said, it is about growing wealth. Um, that's why you need your advisors around you, yeah. your team around you. So that's again, we like from the first podcast. Um, you, you've got to have the right team around you to help you grow that asset, and they collect the information right? mm. um, about where the property is, where it's situated, where it's growing. Um, is there more schools going in there? Is it public transport? New rail links going happening in this area? All those have become very important because all those types of investments by government whatever it might be, um, helps grow that value of that property as right. such. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I can I can see why that would be a common question as to can I buy like a residential property through it. Um, but, yeah, as you said, you probably if you have someone like family renting it, they're going to be cheaper. But the idea is to get as much rent and as much wealth That's right. as property. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the outset, it has to be a very strict investment. Mm. It can't be blurring the lines with maybe I've got you know, a holiday home that I can go and live in down on the sure. beach somewhere and I yeah. can maybe use it for three months a year. You can't do that. Yeah. You've got to be very clear from the outset that you're treating it like a business and you're making business decisions and you have to be seen because you are doing things with a business mind. So you have to do it with the end goal in mind mm-hmm. for your retirement benefit. So it has to always, every decision you make as a, as a director of a trustee of a super fund, you need to make sure that you're investing with the best outcome for the uh, retirement benefits for the members of the fund. Mm. Um, Mario, you mentioned members before. We're talking about, in that case, members of the self-managed super fund, not TPM members, uh, which are very similar, but uh, obviously the members of the super fund. So when you're with a managed fund, they've got you're a member of that fund. Yeah. When you've got a self-managed super fund, whether if you're a sole person with a self-managed super fund, you are the only member of the super fund. Mm-hmm. And like you said before, you can have up to six members of that self-managed super fund in that case. So just wanted to make that point, obviously, with members and members, um, TPM members are different to self-managed super fund members. Mm-hmm. How is that governed then if, you know, you, you might be sneaky and put family in there to, to rent it out? Who's sort of policing that? Uh, well, the accountant's one yeah. and the auditor's a second. Okay, yeah. All right. Um, and then there's always a possibility the ATM might question and do, do a review of the fund, mm. right? So if they look at it and say, right, give us a copy of your um, agent agreement with the tenant. Right, similar name. Oh, hang on. Let's do a little bit more work on it. Oh, yeah. it's your uh, son's partner or vice versa. Mm. They can investigate. They find out. And especially, look, they tax office has an understanding of what the rentals are in the areas. Mm-hmm. All right? So if they see it and look at it, this doesn't make sense. 
Oh, okay. The alarm yeah. bells start to ring, mm-hmm. right? So, it, you, like I said, you need to make sure you do the right things uh, and make sure that it, it is commercial. It's very important. It's got to be commercial. Yeah. And, and that you're looking at the benefit of growing the assets within the fund itself. Yeah. It's not worth mucking around nope. with that. There's yeah, there's, there's data, data sharing that the, the government has access to, the ATO has access to. They can access all sorts of records. And obviously, we're in the information age. There is information available to governments at their fingertips. And if they want to explore something, they will. And you get caught out, there's fines and penalties, and they can even shut down the self-managed super fund entirely. Um, wow. So it's not worth the risk. Uh, so if anyone's even slightly considering that, don't even bother. Mm. Uh, I would suggest just just keep doing what you're doing if that's what your plan is because it's not worth it. Yeah, wow. Well. Okay. So one of the other questions was how much money do I need in my super to purchase a property through SMSF? Um, more in the sense of do they need to have enough to purchase outright or can they get a mortgage through that and is there a sort of maximum purchase price? Uh, I always say when clients ask me that same question, is talk to a mortgage broker first. Okay. Right? Someone like Chelsea from Crown is someone that we always refer back to mm-hmm. because she'll determine when like what you've got in super is enough to buy a property. Okay. All right. So that's it's no use looking at setting all this up and then all of a sudden you roll the funds from your industry fund into a self managed super fund and then finding out that you can't do it. Okay. It, it just it does it doesn't make sense. So it's a planning. That's yeah. the most important part. You've got a plan. Talk to the right people, and if you can do it, that because it depends on what property you're buying, where it is, how much it is, mm-hmm. all that, right? Um, so, so it's a matter of sitting down and saying, right, I'm looking at this particular property. Can I do it myself, managed super fund? This is what I've got. Mm-hmm. I, I need to roll over. Do I need to put extra funds into it, or can I just got enough funds in there to do it? And Chelsea would be the person who will sit through someone like that and go through it all and say, right, you, this is what you can and can't do. I think all of that pre-planning makes a huge difference yep. because, again, it's it's part of your job as the self-managed person, as the, the, the I guess, the CEO of your own property portfolio, is to speak to a good mortgage broker that can understand investor lending but also understand SMSF lending mm. for investors um, to make sure that you've got a lender that will match up with your situation. Again, if you're a little bit older, there's only a certain number of lenders that will lend to you in a self-managed super fund. There used to be a lot more lenders in the self-managed super fund space, Mm -hmm. and that has shrunk. Since the GFC, actually, it's shrunk quite a bit. So there's only a handful of different lenders that will lend to a self-managed super fund. They've all got different rules and requirements, and as we all know, Rates are going up, down, and sideways mm-hmm. up at the moment, but they'll come back down and go sideways again. Uh, and the banks and lenders are always changing their policies. Mm-hmm. So what a particular lender might have as a policy now may change in two or three months or even tomorrow. So because it's a moving target, you need to be having those conversations with the mortgage broker, but also in conjunction with your accountant and your, your property advisor, your mentor, to make sure that you've got a plan of attack. Now, if you're, go- you're going to find a property on the weekend and you're going to go and put an offer down and you haven't set up a self-managed super fund yet, mm-hmm. um, you might find yourself in a pretty sticky situation because setting up the fund can take some time. Um, okay. So maybe I'll ask a question, Mario, how long does it take to set up a fund? And then how long does it take to actually get the money in the fund? Yeah, well, that, that's, I mean, look, setting it up and getting all the deeds and, and everything set up, it probably takes you about 48 hours to do, 24 to 48 hours to do, right? But the problem is transferring that money from the industry fund across into the SMSF, once you open up the bank account and everything, um, could take up to a month or more because um, it's funny, um, industry funds like to accept your money, but when they have to let go of it, 
they put every roadblock impossible to, 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 to be attached to it, are they? Yeah, yeah they are. And and, uh, and so, but but they're also governed by the requirements by APRA. All right. So um, and uh, and they've got to make sure that they do their paperwork right too, because um, like everyone else these days, um, everyone's looking out. You got to do the right thing. You don't do the right thing. Uh, you're in trouble. So uh, they've got their requirements to they, what they have to do, but sometimes it's it's funny when you're dealing with one industry fund compared to another. Sometimes it differs, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I just can't put an explanation as to why it differs. Mm. Mm. But um, some are some are very good, release the funds straight away. Mm. Some are uh, just drag and drag and make it okay. They'll go back. Oh, you didn't give us this information. Oh, but we not this information and mm. and the. And the member of the South Managed Super Fund um, gets frustrated because of the fact that they keep on going back all the time right. trying to get that information across. So um, yeah, so it, it's difficult at times. But but um, setting it up originally, it doesn't take that long. Um, mm-hmm. It's just managing the transferring the funds. Okay, but definitely right. make sure it's set up before you, well, as you said, well, before you go yeah, and buy something. Yeah. yeah, because one of the one of the depending on where you buy your properties, different states are different. Um, if you don't have that. Entities already established when you sign the contract, you get could possibly get double stamp duty. Ooh, okay. Right. So um, I know in Victoria we've got the and or nominee side of the clause. We can put that in on contract, but other states you don't. Mm. So if it's not set up and you go off and buy a property at interstate somewhere like Sydney or um, WA or Queensland mm. and you haven't set it up, um, they can possibly come back with a double stamp. And I had that recently with a... Uh, an, another client who bought two or three properties over a mm-hmm. short period of time from, and um, yeah, you hadn't set it up properly mm-hmm. and uh, all the contracts were signed and this is not nothing to do with um, our property metals or, or ourselves. He just came to us and said, right, this is what's happened. Well, what do I do? So I had to refer him to a lawyer to try to sort all that out. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. so, but I think in the end of the day, he had to pay the double stamp duty. Oh, my so God. it's something that should have cost him. A certain price for him to grow, um, it's costing a little bit more. So, this all comes back to the planning that we talk 100%. about all the time. We're talking about planning and, and forecasting with um, using auger reports mm-hmm. and things like that that we do. And and all of that planning makes such a difference when you get all of your ducks lined up, as they say, um, making sure you've had the conversation with your mentor, discussions with, with your accountant, having a conversation with mortgage broker. And when you're doing that, it means that you can go out there into the marketplace and confidently make an offer or buy a property knowing that everything is ready yeah. because if you're going and doing it the wrong way, a lot of people put the cart before the horse, they go and buy the property and then try and work out how they're going to finance it and how they're going to structure it and it's a mess uh, and that's why we teach our members to do it the right way and there's no such thing as the perfect property so you're not going to be missing out on anything because you've found what you've considered to be the perfect property. Not all accountants are the same and when you throw investment income in with your personal income, things can get complicated. Outgoing expenses, depreciation, loan write-offs, they all need to be handled correctly to make your investment work for you. Finding the right accountant is important. Visit investorintelligence.com.au forward slash accounting to find your next investment accountant. One of the um, other great questions that was submitted was what happens with the rent that is paid? Where is it paid and who collects it? I'm guessing that's when you buy through a SMSF. Yeah, if the property is owned by an SMSF, it goes to the SMSF yeah. bank okay. account. Yeah, right? So it all goes there. You can't touch it. 
you can't go into a personal account and then you put it in, it has to go straight into yeah. that SMS effect. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. I can definitely <laughs> see why people would get that confused though. Oh, uh, well, sometimes they might, depending on the heights you borrow, mm. they might have excess cash and think, oh, I'll take some of it. You mm. can't. No, <laughs> no. You, you do need to treat it like a separate business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're Coles, you can't go and take money from Woolworths Bank account. Mm. That's how I, I treat it because it's very much a separate entity to you. It's not your money. It is in the future when you retire, but it's the super funds money. Yeah. So essentially, you, you're not allowed to touch it. You can't have it as as available money that you can borrow $1,000 from and put it back next week when you get paid. It needs to be very clean and very transparent. And of course, your accountant and, and um, auditor are going to be reviewing all of the transactions mm. in that uh, at the end of the financial year. So like we said earlier, treat it like a business and keep it clean. That was one of the most interesting things I learned when sort of learning about this was to look at your SMSF just like a completely different entity. It's if you're if you buy property through an SMSF, the SMSF owns it, not necessarily you own the SMSF, but to to look at it as one entity and you're another entity and your business sure. is another entity. That's you don't tell real... me my owners when you retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it becomes yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, Luke, I think that's a really, really good way to look at it. Guys, is there anything else on today's topic that you think would be valuable for our listeners to, to know? Well, look, um, one of the things that when you, you do purchase a property through uh, SMSF, um, it is what we, one of the things that's required to be established is a bare trust. Okay. Right? What a bear trust basically does is it separates that that property away from the other assets within the fund itself. Mm-hmm. Right? So a bear trust is established which owns the property on behalf of the super fund okay. as such. And if something goes wrong there, for instance, and there's a shortfall, and then when the bank comes in and has to sell the property, it protects the other assets within the fund. Like, for instance, you might have a portfolio of shares, you might have mortgage broke, you might have a property... Um, Investment trusts in there, all those types of those assets are separated from that property. That's what, and that's one of the requirements by law from um, that was set up to allow us to do investments through uh, property investments through um, an SMSF. Um, something like that's probably going to cost about eighteen hundred dollars to set up as such, mm-hmm. but it protects the other assets because, like I said, the whole purpose is is to is to grow the the wealth of those um, assets within the fund itself. And like I said, you might have a property, you might have different share portfolios and so on, it protects those assets away from that property if something goes wrong there. Mm-hmm. So that's something important that people need to understand okay. as such. Right? Yeah. The other thing that I want to make a comment on there as well is a lot of people think that when I've bought a property in my super fund, five or 10 years it's grown in value, I can pull out some equity and go and buy another one. The reality is you can't do that. Mm. A lot of people, you can do that in your own name or if you've set up companies and trusts, you can tap into that equity to build your portfolio. In a self-managed super fund, you can't do that. So once you've secured that asset, the only thing that you can do to access the equity is to sell the asset if you want to free up the equity. So you can't refinance the property and pull out some of that equity to use as another deposit. And a lot of people, even myself, when I first set up the super fund, I said to Mario, I've got some equity in this property. Now I want to go and buy another one. Mario's, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that they can build a portfolio the same way. Yes, you can build a portfolio in your super fund, but you can't do it the same way as buying in your own name and just going back to your broker every couple of years, pulling out some equity, using some of your savings to go again. So that is a little bit different to buying in your own name. You do need to keep saving that next deposit in the super fund. And that's why it does make sense to have your team around you to make sure that if you do have excess money in the fund, 
to make sure you're getting the best outcome. And so that might mean putting some money into, you know, our become the lender strategy for a short period of time or going into the stock market for a period of time until you've built up that deposit. Because obviously with your employer contributions, you're going to have excess cash sitting in there at some point. Yeah. Now, everyone's buffer is going to be different. Some people might need five or 10 or 20,000 in there as a buffer to cover your expenses and so forth, your operating costs as a business, your tax returns and so forth. Um, and some people might need a little bit more than that. It depends on the size of the fund of, of what you're going to need. And that's why you need that conversation with the, your accountant and financial planner. So again, you've got to treat it like a business and making sure that you're getting the best outcome. It's not something that you have to learn at all overnight. It's something that you will, you will learn over time uh, because property and investing generally is a slow-moving beast. Mm. It's not something that's uh, that's going to um, you know happen super fast. And you're not day trading, for example, so you don't need to learn this fast-moving thing. It's very slow-moving when you're investing for the long term. But this is stuff that you can learn. Oh, over that's time. so interesting. Yeah. I didn't know so, that part. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was like, okay, well then, how do you get multiple properties? Okay, but slowly, as, slowly and as the as the yeah. super fund grows, yeah. you can keep using that for deposits, yeah. but not yeah. for equity. And, and it, for every property you buy and you're borrowing, it's another bear trust. It's another bear right. trust because again, you're separating that your existing assets mm-hmm. away from now the new asset you're buying, mm-hmm. the new property. So it's all about protecting what's in the fund. Yeah. From, from, right? So. Um, so that's required. Murray, if I'm buying property, let's say I've got lots of money in my super fund and I'm not borrowing any money, I want to buy the property in cash, do I still need a bear trust? No, you don't. You don't need it? No. Okay. And the other question that gets asked a lot is, I want to be a developer, right? No, or right. I want to renovate properties, right? If I want to go and <laughs> do- this is Murray, just scrunched his face up. <laughs> uh, you know, go and do a, a subdivision or something like that and, you know, I'm really active in that space. If I want to go and buy a property and renovate it in my super fund because I, I'm pretty smart and I can add some value to that, can I do that in my self-managed super fund if I've got a loan against the property you, and I want to go? You can do it, but you can't borrow. You can't borrow. No. Does that mean you so, can't? So, so if you want to renovate the property, if you borrow um, to buy that property, you can't then borrow additional funds to do the renovations. You basically got to use you've actually got to contribute or use whatever cash is available in the fund to do those renovations. Okay. And one of the other things, you can't pay yourself for managing that renovations, all right? So a lot of some people go, well, I've spent time on this, I should get paid. Yep. No. You can't do that. <laughs> yep. All right? Um, but if, if it's a whole process of um, um, improving the property as such, uh, yes, you can do that, but you just can't borrow additional funds on top. So the same thing would apply if I've bought a block of land and I want to knock down the house and put three units on it, for example. Some people have said they want to do that in the super fund. They can't borrow for that. They can only do it if they've got the cash. Well, I always say to them, you need one contract because normally you would have two separate contracts, one for the buying the land and then buy, and one in regards to the construction of it. If you've got it together as one contract, then you can do it because you're borrowing on that one contract. But where you're doing it, you're borrowing to buy the land and all of a sudden there's a construction part of it and then you need to borrow funds, you can't do it. So if I wanted to buy a house and land package, that would be the same situation. Yeah. I can't oh. buy the land and then a separate build contract. That's right. So Luke, if someone wants to invest in property, but maybe don't want to do it right now, what are the other options that they have? What are the alternative strategies that they have? So some people might like the idea of investing in property, but not actually want to go and buy a property. Yeah. 
uh, and take out a loan and go through that whole process. Yeah. Um, the property mentors have uh, some members-only strategies such as their wholesale property trust. Mm-hmm. Um, they're available by invitation only, so we only offer them to, to some of our members. But essentially a property trust allows uh, a group of investors to get together and essentially build a property portfolio under a trust. Now, whether you're using a self-managed super fund or your own cash, um, you can buy units in that unit trust. And essentially, that gives you access to a property portfolio without actually having to take on debt. Mm. Uh, and what that means is that the, the trust itself will go out there and acquire properties over a period of time. The trust itself will take on debt up to 50% of the value of the portfolio. So it is a conservative approach. Yeah. And the returns from that portfolio will then come back to the investor. So depending on how many units you buy in the unit trust, you'll get your share essentially of that that income, but also uh, getting the share of the capital growth. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the uh, wholesale property trust will allow people to uh, buy into a trust that's bought properties. The properties will grow in value over time, keep the leverage at 50%. But as the portfolio grows, of course, we're going to go out there and buy more property. So what happens over the longer term is that the portfolio starts at a smaller amount, a couple of million dollars, will then go and buy some properties in cash, mm-hmm. will then get leverage on those properties. And then as they grow in value, well, they'll get refinanced and go and buy more properties. And that fund will continue to grow for the life of the fund. And people can buy and sell units in that uh, as they need to. If they get closer to retirement age, if they've been in the fund for 15 years, they can sell their units or they can just live off the cash flow that comes from that. Um, but obviously, you've got to weigh up whether you want to actually buy a single property in, in your super fund, if you're looking at a self-managed super fund, or if you want to have a diversified portfolio in a unit trust type situation. And we do offer that to to members that, that obviously qualify for that on a case-by-case basis. It's not advertised anywhere. We don't uh, we don't advertise it to anyone. It's not on our website. Yeah. Um, but obviously, we've worked very closely with, with Mario over the years and obviously with the mortgage broking team to make sure that we've got a strategy for people that want to invest in property, but they don't want to take on debt. In their mm. in their uh, in their super fund or in their own name. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great um, long term strategy for sure. Yeah. It just allows people to jump in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Put your foot they, in the door. Where they can't, you know, you might be in a situation where they can't borrow, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So and they still want to be in part of the property scene. Yeah. And that's an opportunity there, right? So for for them to look at. I think the other thing as well is if you've got, let's say, you've got one hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in your self managed super fund, mm-hmm. and you went to the broker and said, "Hey, I want to go and buy a property." Generally, banks are going to need a 30% deposit, right? Or lenders, I should say, not just banks, but lenders are going to want a 30% deposit. And they do that because they know that a self-managed super fund uh, is a non-recourse fund. So they're only, you know, with Mario talking about a bear trust before, they've got to make sure they've covered cover their asses, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and they want to make sure that you've got enough deposit in there, enough skin in the game. And also you're going to need your stamp duty and other closing costs as well. So when you add up all of those costs, your deposit amount has to be significantly higher. What that means is that if you've got $150,000, 30%, you know, that's going to give you, with all of your closing costs with stamp duty, probably about $400,000 to spend in the marketplace. Wow. Now, we all know property prices have gone up around the country. Now, it's not a huge amount of places in the country that you can still get a really good investment property for $400,000. There's definitely opportunities out there, but of course, the options are shrinking over time, right? Mm-hmm. We're now talking about one-bedroom apartments for that price in many capital cities, yeah. or you're going to a regional area, or you're buying a property that's not a great property. Yes, it might be a property, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a great investment. So you might be limited with what you can actually do with the available funds in your super. So when you're looking at your lending options, 
and matching that up with the properties that are available in that price point, you might actually be better off looking at something like that uh, that, that gives you access to a portfolio of funds. And that's why we set up the wholesale property trusts because it gives people access to a diversified portfolio across different property types, different states, even different markets. Um, whereas buying a single property for $400,000 might limit your options for capital growth. Yeah. If that property doesn't perform like you want it to, then you're stuck with that asset over a period of time and it hasn't diversified your portfolio. So sorry, you can use your self-managed super fund to go into the wholesale property trust? You can. If you've got a self-managed super fund, you can you can purchase units in the trust if they're yeah. off- offered to you by one of our if mentors. To you, sure. um, but obviously, you know, it, it does allow people to have a diversified portfolio rather than essentially mm. putting all their eggs in one basket. So the the higher the super balance that you start with, if you've got two, three, four hundred thousand dollars just consider a rough figure of about 30% as your deposit that you'll need for a loan. The other thing to consider when you're buying a property in your super fund is that there's limited lenders. We talked about that before, and there isn't you know, hundreds and hundreds of lenders like there is when you're buying in your own name. So because there's limited lenders out there, even with a 30% deposit, some are asking for 40% deposit even, your interest rate's going to be higher. So generally, you want to add about two to two and a half, maybe even three percent onto the normal cash rate Mm -hmm. uh, to get the the lending in your self managed super fund. So uh, the um, the interest payments are going to be higher. Uh, Again, it's tax deductible. It's all part of your super fund expenses as cost of doing business. Um, But of course, you've got to make sure that you're factoring that in as well. Mm -hmm. We use Augur Investor reports for that. So augurinvestor.com.au and get those reports out there so you can actually do your figures. The other thing with most um, loans in your self-managed super fund is it's principal and interest. So you generally a lot of investors might try and build their portfolio by keeping everything interest only. In a self-managed super fund, it's principal and interest at a higher rate, mm-hmm. right? So your mortgage payments are going to be quite a bit higher. Now, that's not a huge problem, but it needs to be factored in when you're yeah. doing your forecasting. Um, whereas wholesale trust, for example, will go out there and get normal lending rates, which are not as high as self-managed super fund rates. And by comparison, if you're getting a loan in for one property in your super fund, paying a higher rate, principal and interest, you might be getting um, uh, leverage at 70%. Mm-hmm. A wholesale trust will leverage at 50%, but at a lower rate. So need to com- compare side by side when you're looking at your options. Yeah. But of course, some people don't want to do either of those things. They want right. to put their money in the stock market, speak to the financial planner. So Again, these are just some options and some things to consider. We're not giving any advice today. This is purely just for for conversation and, of course, prompting people to have a think about what options are out there so that you can then go and ask questions of your broker and accountant and financial planner as you need to. Yeah, it's good to know there are actually other options out there for people. One of the the issues I have sometimes is when a member comes to me and says, oh, uh, what do you think? And I say, well, Mm. I'm restricted in relation to what I can't can say in yeah. relation to uh, the um, types of investments because I think people are, are wanting a, a rate of return today, what, yeah. they, <laughs> what they believe is going to happen. And um, But I always say to them, look, I can't predict. I don't have a crystal ball, Yeah. right? And, and bricks and mortar, it grows over a p- period of time. So the first few years it might not grow, but year five, year six, it starts to grow mm. and you're starting to reap the rewards. Um, and people were always asking me for that reassurance <laughs> and I just can't it's, give it to them. Yeah, and that's the understanding <laughs> of the team and you know, is that understanding what everyone's role in the team is. Yes. So when you're talking about property, you're speaking to obviously the property mentors, 
uh, or you're speaking to your agent or whoever you're speaking to to get your property advice. But then when you bring that property or that opportunity to your accountant, you can't ask their opinion. It's not their job to give you their opinion. Yeah, right? I think that's where a lot of people get confused. They, they yeah. do get confused because your accountant really is there to look after your tax affairs, mm. right? And look after your structures and all of your compliance side of things, but they're not there to give you their personal opinion. That's yeah. not their job. And by asking them that, you're kind of asking a, a question that they really can't answer. They might have an opinion, but it might not be relevant because they're not always qualified in that space. No offense to Mario, he's very knowledgeable and has some amazing opinions, but it's not why you're hiring your accountant. It's the same thing with your financial planner. What should I do with my property? Yeah. Well, the financial planner should be saying, it's not my job to do that. Do your research and work out what you should do with the property. It's not their job to tell you what to buy and sell uh, or when to buy and sell or, or any of those things. They are there to look after the the insurance side of things and look after your stock portfolio and all of the other things that you can mm-hmm. do. So again, it's understanding your advisor's role. Yeah. You as the investor need to make sure that you're asking your advisor good questions, right? And those good questions are, how can I get the best tax outcome, mm-hmm. right? How can I structure my portfolio the best way? Mm-hmm. How can I make sure I've got my assets protected? They're the sort of questions you should be asking your yes. accountant, yeah. not do you think this is a good property? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they might think it's a good property, but it actually might not be a good property. Mm-hmm. You know, so so various things that you, you need to be considering. And, of course, our, our role here as mentors is to teach you what questions to ask your advisors. Mm. And over time, as I said earlier, is that um, when you're asking really good questions, you'll start getting really good answers over time. Yeah. And as you yeah. start getting good answers, you'll start making better decisions better decisions help to get you better investment outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well, I want to thank all three of you for being here today. Um, There were actually even more questions that were submitted by the mentors, but we'd be here for the rest of the week. So uh, we'll leave it there for now. Um, But guys, thank you so much for joining me once again. Thanks, baby. Thank you. If you found this episode or any of our episodes helpful, please make sure to share and leave a rating to help us reach more people on their investing journeys. And of course, subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Investor Intelligence Podcast. You can find links to our other socials in the show notes, including a link to the Property Mentors weekly blog. If you're ready to get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom, check out Luke's latest book, Property Fit. You can get yourself a copy at www.propertyfitbook.com.au.